It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. It's Friday, September 30th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the real story of the Agoji Warriors, fictionalized in The Woman King. Plus, the Food and Drug Administration just dropped a new definition for the word healthy. And the very opposite of a nightmare on Elm Street. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. The Woman King, directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood and starring Viola Davis, debuted at number one in the U.S. box office earlier this month, grossing nearly $20 million opening weekend and now over $37 million worldwide. It is getting rave reviews both from critics and from the random sampling of people in my own life who have seen it. I have not yet seen the movie, so there won't be any spoilers here for the film beyond what's evident in the trailer, but I did want to take a moment during this burst of popularity to dive into the real history behind the film. Now, said real history could potentially spoil the movie for you if you are not familiar with it already and you want to go into the film without that context, so consider this your warning now. The Woman King centers on the real-life group of women warriors from the West African nation of Dahomey, which is modern-day Benin, following French takeover at the turn of the 20th century. Said colonization is at the heart of the film, as Viola Davis's fictionalized character leads her regiment into battle to save their kingdom. Davis, by the way, went through an intense training regimen to prepare for the role. Starting all the way back in 2020, she says she was training five hours a day, weight training, martial arts training, and running the equivalent of a six-minute mile on the treadmill. All of this when she was 56 years old. Seriously impressive stuff. Of course, you've got to train hard to portray someone who was part of one of the fiercest groups of warriors of all time. The Agoji, the Regiment of Women Warriors, were active in Dahomey from the 16 or 1700s up until the early 1900s, but most prominently in the 19th century. The exact origins vary in their tellings, but there are two leading possibilities. Quoting Smithsonian Magazine, The first recorded mention of the Agoji dates to 1729, but the unit was possibly formed even earlier, toward the beginning of Dahomey's existence, when King Huagbadja created a corps of women elephant hunters. Alternatively, Hangbi, who briefly ruled as regent following the death of her brother in the early 18th century, may have introduced the women warriors as part of her palace guard. Either way, the Agoji reached their peak in the 19th century under King Gezo, who formally incorporated them into Dahomey's army. Thanks to the kingdom's ongoing wars, Dahomey's male population had dropped significantly, creating an opportunity for women to replace men on the battlefield. End quote. That warfare is a vital element here. Dahomey was an extraordinarily militant kingdom. If you've heard of it in passing, that's probably been your main takeaway. It's the state's ongoing legacy. Stanley B. Alpern, author of Amazons of Black Sparta, The Women Warriors of Dahomey, wrote, as quoted in the Smithsonian, 
More perhaps than any other African state, Dahomey was dedicated to warfare and slave raiding. It may also have been the most totalitarian, with the king controlling and regimenting practically every aspect of social life. End quote. And yes, slave raiding. Dahomey was heavily involved in the slave trade. Like with many West African kingdoms, it was complicated, wrapped up in other conflicts with nearby regions. While some kings of Dahomey tried more than others to depend more on farming and the trade of palm oil, all told, Dahomey is estimated to have sold hundreds of thousands of people from neighboring tribes and nations to Europeans between the 1720s and 1850s. Home Team History, a multi-platform African history and culture series, notes that this aggressive involvement in the slave trade was a crucial aspect of Dahomey's warfare and domination strategy, but also that in the context of the time, Dahomey leaders might have thought of slavery more like we today view European serfdom. Enslaved people within their kingdom were sometimes gifted land and money after being adopted by the people who enslaved them, their descendants being able to rise in class status. That wasn't always what happened, and even that type of enslavement doesn't sound great, nor does any of this excuse Dahomey or any nations participating in the slave trade, but the home team history folks offer an important historical perspective. That said, despite a few rumblings that we should boycott this film because it's going to ignore Dahomey's brutal warfare and involvement in the slave trade, the filmmakers have said that this part of the kingdom's history is addressed in the film. Because, yeah, having an army of women doesn't automatically make a nation, like, ethically perfect and virtuous. It was still an army, after all, and one that largely existed because the kingdom went to war so much that most of their men had died. But still, the Agoji existed, and everything aforementioned notwithstanding, they were pretty badass. Some of them volunteered for the army, others were forced to join. Enslaved women, poor women, rebellious girls as young as 10. They were all considered wives of the king, but third-class wives, they didn't have relations with the king, but they also weren't allowed their own with other men, although the Smithsonian points out that there is debate about how much that rule was truly enforced. They lived in the royal palace, had their own servants, and were given plenty of tobacco and alcohol, but also went through absolutely brutal training. From Smithsonian, quote, to become an Ogoji, recruits underwent intensive training, including exercises designed to harden them to bloodshed. In 1889, French naval officer Jean Bayol witnessed Naniska, who likely inspired the name of Davis's character in The Woman King, a teenager who had not yet killed anyone, easily pass a test of wills. Walking up to a condemned prisoner, she reportedly swung her sword three times with both hands, then calmly cut the last flesh that attached the head to the trunk. She then squeezed the blood off her weapon and swallowed it. Another common form of training involved mock assaults that found recruits scrambling across towering walls of acacia thorns. In the words of a British traveler who examined the barriers, I could not persuade myself that any human being, without boots or shoes, would under any circumstances attempt to pass over so dangerous a collection of the most efficiently armed plants I had ever seen. The warriors bore the pain without complaint, and the bravest among them received acacia thorn belts marking their stoicism. 
Surprising the enemy was of the utmost importance. Warriors snuck up on villages at or before dawn, taking captives and decapitating those who resisted. With the rest of the Dahomean army, these women warriors were the scourge and terror of the whole surrounding country, always at war and generally victorious, as an American missionary later recounted. End quote. Many of the accounts we have are from colonizers who witnessed the Agoji in action. They nicknamed them Amazons, after the women warriors in the Greek myths. But many bristle at that nickname. Historian Pamela Toller told National Geographic, quote, In addition to it being a decidedly colonial reference, you're sort of reinforcing the idea that they are exceptions, and that no ordinary woman could be larger than life. That's a very European perspective on these amazing women. End quote. And quoting from National Geographic on the end of the Agoji, quote, While most records of Dahomean warfare involve battles with neighboring kingdoms for control of coastal cities, a shift began in the late 1870s, after the kingdom agreed to let France claim the city of Cotonou as a protectorate. By 1883, nearby Porto Novo, one of Dahomey's rivals, was similarly designated. But in 1889, a new king came to power. King Behanzin balked at European interference and eventually ordered slave raids and other hostilities against those French protectorates. This led to the Second Franco-Dahomian War, which lasted from 1892 until 1894, and which some historians point to as the end of a dominant role for the Dahomey women warriors." End quote. As with so much of history, we can't decouple colonization from a strict prescribed idea of gender roles. Even though the Agoji were part of a patriarchal structure in their own kingdom, literally classed as the king's wives, their talents in warfare and physical prowess and ferocity upset the colonizer's narrow view of gender. Quoting again from the Smithsonian, as Lynn Ellsworth Larson, an architectural historian who studies gender dynamics in Dahomey, articulates, the existence and dominance of Dahomey's women warriors upset the French's understanding of gender roles and what women were supposed to do in a civilized society. The women's flaunting of ferocity, physical power, and fearlessness was manipulated or corrupted as Europeans started to interpret it in their own context of what they felt societies should be, she says. For the French, the Agoji were simply more fuel for their civilizing mission, which sought to impose European ideals on African countries. Last year, Leonard Wanchikon, an economist at Princeton University and native of Benin, who leads research seeking to identify the Agoji's descendants, told the Washington Post that French colonization proved detrimental to women's rights in Dahomey, with colonizers barring women from political leadership and educational opportunities. The French made sure this history wasn't known, he explained. They said we were backward, that they needed to civilize us, but they destroyed opportunities for women that existed nowhere else in the world. End quote. That erasure of history, by pushing out the indigenous languages that could keep the oral histories alive and refusing to record those histories in the colonizers' written documents, is what many are now trying to correct. Art curator and historian Alexander Ives Bordelow told National Geographic, quote, There can be no doubt that important and celebrated women existed in other periods of African history. But prior to the era of contact with Europe, written records of their names and achievements simply do not exist. Indigenous narratives about them have not survived to the present day or have yet to be recognized and recorded. 
As the study of African history continues, however, the identities of other notable African women will surely be revealed. End quote. The Woman King is the first depiction of the Agoji women by the American film industry. It is one of the few major motion pictures from a Hollywood studio featuring a black woman leading in an action role, with no significant male or white leads. Davis and Prince Bythewood have both spoken at length about how tough it was to convince studios to make this movie because of that. But because of The Woman King, and more fictional interpretations like in Black Panther, we might not only see more and more of these stories told, but more of them discovered as well. Imagine if your favorite casino came with an undo button. That's exactly what you get with FanDuel Casino's Play It Again. Get up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. Play your favorite table games in hundreds of slots for real cash. And see for yourself why FanDuel Casino is the number one rated online casino app. Explore daily and weekly promotions. Play with live dealers. And if you ever have a question, our best-in-class customer support team is here to help 24-7. Sign up for FanDuel Casino at FanDuel.com PA3 today and play it again with up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. 21 plus and present in Pennsylvania. Must not have previously placed any wager on FanDuel Sportsbook, FanDuel Casino, Betfair Casino, Mohegan Sun Casino, or Stardust Casino. Refund issued as non-withdrawable casino online site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG. In today's business world, any edge could be huge. And nobody offers more timely business advice than the Harvard Business Review. Whether it's their flagship magazine or digital content featuring articles, videos, podcasts, and more you'll gain real-world insight into the most pressing topics facing business today. And now, for just $10 a month, you'll have unlimited access to Harvard Business Review content and subscriptions. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code BUSINESS. That's hbr.org slash subscriptions, promo code BUSINESS. On Wednesday, the White House held a conference on hunger, nutrition, and health, the first time such a conference has been held since 1969. And at that 1969 summit hosted by President Nixon, the administration significantly expanded food stamps, school lunches, and other programs aimed at reducing hunger. It set the stage for the food policy agenda we've seen over the last 50 years, and while there are obviously a lot of problems to fix, hence the new conference happening this week, that one back in 1969 is credited with reducing hunger and continuing some of those crucial programs, ones that particularly served as a safety net for many Americans during the pandemic. As many of those pandemic benefits come to an end, a large focus of the conference this week was extending and expanding them. President Biden at the conference pushed to permanently extend the child tax credit, raise the minimum wage, expand nutrition assistance programs, and launch new ones, like more healthcare programs that cover medically tailored meals. Other topics on the docket, according to NPR, included the expansion of universal free school meals and resources for school cafeterias, as well as improved outreach to immigrant, Native American, and other marginalized communities, all working towards Biden's stated goal of ending hunger in America by 2030. It will remain to be seen how much or how soon any of these policy proposals are implemented, but one interesting announcement has already come from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. New rules on when companies are allowed to use the word healthy and what exactly it means. Quoting the Washington Post, 
Under the proposal, manufacturers can label their products healthy if they contain a meaningful amount of food from at least one of the food groups or subgroups, such as fruit, vegetable, or dairy, recommended by the dietary guidelines. They must also adhere to specific limits for certain nutrients, such as saturated fat, sodium, and added sugars. For example, a cereal would need to contain three-quarters of an ounce of whole grains and no more than one gram of saturated fat, 230 milligrams of sodium, and two and a half grams of added sugars per serving for a food manufacturer to use the word healthy on the label. End quote. The FDA is also working on a symbol that companies could voluntarily use on their products if it meets the federal guidelines for healthy. I am personally hoping for a clippy-style broccoli head dude, potentially with its own California Raisins-esque spinoff cartoon, Broccoli head aside, this announcement comes as part of the FDA's larger stated plans to make nutrition information more easily accessible. Other upcoming plans from their announcement include a front-of-package labeling system for nutrition information, making nutrition information easily available when grocery shopping online, lowering voluntary sodium reduction targets for the industry, holding a meeting to decide on next steps for a similarly lowered sugar target, and continuing to distribute more resources to parents and caregivers about healthy eating for kids and toxic elements to be aware of. Broccoli head, I'm telling you, the kids will love him. Educational outreach, boom, done. A lot of fast food news this week, so here's one more thing to round out the week. Do you live on Elm Street? Odds are pretty good you do, considering there are over 5,000 Elm Streets across the United States. And if you do, October is your lucky month. Most on theme of all the pizza companies, Tombstone is offering up free pizza to people whose residential address is on an actual Elm Street. Free pizza? Hardly a nightmare. It actually looks like there will only be one lucky winner who will receive free pizza for a year. But all entrants have to live on Elm Street to qualify for the contest. And that is the kind of thematic gatekeeping I'm actually into. Weird contest, low stakes, just doing it because you can. Respect. But that's going to be it from me for this week. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, because we have professional grade supplies for every industry, even hard to find products. And we have same day pickup and next day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.